I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer. No. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to episode 395 of the Stupid Cancer Show. We are the voice of young adult cancer. Coming to you from downtown Manhattan, I am your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 20-year young adult brain cancer survivor. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. I'm your co-producer, Mallory Rivera. I'd like to welcome all of our first-time and returning listeners. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. Did you know that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each year? Sucks, huh? We change the world one chemo infusion at a time. And on this episode, Why Ask Why? Diagnosed with stage 3A breast cancer as a young, single working woman in 2011, Allison Greifen has been somewhat of a renaissance survivor and advocate. She is a Huffington Post blogger, a TEDx speaker, the director of What the Fuck is Cancer and Why Does Everyone Have It? And will soon be releasing her next book, Blood Moon. She joins us to discuss her story and why she's asking why for all the right reasons. Our survivor spotlight on young adult leukemia survivor, Maria Escalona. And with that, our fabulous applause. Hello, team. Hello. We've got the Hello. whole crew here. And hey. Noel on the couch. In the corner. <laughs> Nobody puts Noel in the corner. Nobody. How is everybody? Swell. I love that Sean answered the question first. Hello, Sean. Hi. Any photography this weekend? Uh, I it's, did. It's I, a trick question because yes, there was. Well, technically, with, yes, yes, I did a little bit at the OMG Summit. Yes, you did. We got a we got a little Italia Ricci. We got a little John Batiste. A little Suleika Jouad action. It good, was good. It was good stuff. Looking good shots. And um, Mal, this is your what? Like fifth conference, fourth conference? Uh, this is my third OMG East. My fourth OMG overall. Right. And my sixth conference in total. Wow! Woo-hoo. Now you're just showing off. <laughs> and I mean, it's been it's January will be three years, so you know, yeah, mm-hmm. all that fun times. And Laurel, this was your, your truly your first <laughs> Laurel, our, our digital marketing associate here on the staff, your first true offline social event. It was that you prepped for, you planned for, you built momentum for. What's it been like for you? It was a lot. I felt like everybody was telling me like, oh my gosh, just kind of be prepared, be prepared to meet the community and how amazing they are. And I was like, yeah, okay. I kind of thought I had a grasp on it and I did not have a grasp on it. I was overwhelmed. I I think we can tell you to be prepared till we're blue in the face, but you actually can't be prepared until you are there and in it because there's nothing... Yeah. There's nothing that can prepare you for that level of in itness. No, definitely not. And I think the best part was is that when I was completely overwhelmed and then there were tears, there were definite tears. And then it was like, Matt, it was like, come up on stage and we'll play Taylor Swift in the background. And then there's a big picture of your face, which apparently said underneath it that I am openly Canadian. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. would like that to read proudly Canadian <laughs> from now on. Those are the little Easter eggs that yeah. got thrown in there. Wow, you, you I didn't about. realize that. At, Just, at least you noticed. 
afterwards, after yes. the fact. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it was amazing. And I think like my biggest thing here is that I just want to help be a voice for this community and kind of share those voices and, and, and cultivate them and make all of our social medias the voice of the community. So to actually be able to spend a day with those people and hear their stories and actually hear their voices, it was, I was overwhelmed. I'm very excited for the next one. I just feel so lucky to be a part of the community now. Yeah. So this was our fifth New York exclusive regional conference. Yes. Uh, those of you out there, the OMG Cancer Summit was founded in 2008 in a partnership with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. It was in New York as a national conference till 2011 until we went truly national to Las Vegas. And then New York went, hey, what about us? And we started the East Coast Regional Conference that <laughs> year. And uh, it looks like we're stuck with it. Very exciting. Like 120 some odd, 130 people. I believe we had 125 attendees. We're we're still waiting for our final list checks, but it was about 125 people. I mean, the room was full. Yeah, it was great. It was, the room was full. We we had some full tables happening, which is always exciting. It was wonderful. A lot of yeah. new faces in the crowd, too. We, we hope for that all the time. Yes, that was very exciting. I actually met someone who was a first-time attendee who was in treatment who was like, can you introduce me to someone? Because I don't know anyone. It was it was a really cool moment. It was and great. Mayor Lou was uh, heading up the uh, Wallflower Squad. Oh, yes, my. as As his, his usual tradition. Yes. I could not. I was walking outside just to kind of take some pictures and, and tweet about them. And I saw your dad. And I, well, I mean, the tears started early on for me, apparently, because just to watch him stand there. And then he came up to me and afterwards and he said, he's still my little boy. Oh, and then the tears came again. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's cool. Don't yeah. do that to me on the air. Come on. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you did it to me all day long. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he, he enjoys himself. Um, he's going to be 70 in two weeks. So big celebration yeah. we'll give for him somehow on the show. <laughs> I have to like play some Louie Louie or whatever. We can make something happen. We can make something happen here on the I show. I want to give a shout out just to Scott Slater for being of an course. incredible... Instagram community takeover. He took over our Instagram, Stupid Cancer's Instagram, for all day Saturday, and it was amazing. We got some incredible engagement, and I just want to give a whoop whoop shout out to him because it was amazing. And thank you for doing that, Scott. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. So we had obviously uh, our headliners, Italia Ricci and Suleika Jawad, were there. Very oh. moving to hear from her that speech she gave uh, in the morning. She was phenomenal. Phen- it was. The tears did not uh, stop. They no. did not stop. It, she was phenomenal. And it was, you know, we have, and we've reposted about her art, her, her more recent articles a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've read through a lot of her stuff and it was just, uh, she was just, inc- it was incredible to hear her speak. Um, and she was very candid and it was, it was a phenomenal keynote. Yep. And then Italia came and we brought her on stage. I mean, so and she Italia hung out all day. She was I know, she, she was eating star. lunch with people. <laughs> she was signing autographs. She was she was a lot of fun. She was texting me before like she'll never get tired of this. So don't ever stop inviting her to places. <laughs> Otherwise, she'll just show up without being invited, which is a good problem to have. That is a good problem to have. Yeah, and uh, the afternoon sessions, all the speakers, the breakouts, uh, not the breakouts, the, the workshops, the, the panel sessions, the survivor panel. My favorite part of every OMG Regional Summit is their survivor panel, and Saturday did not disappoint, even mm-hmm. remotely. That was, a, that was a phenomenal panel, and we had some really great people on there. Yeah, it's hard to say they keep getting better. They just keep getting different and more structured and more engaged and yeah. really refined. Yeah, definitely. It was yeah. all, all in all. I think the the agenda went over really well, and we had a lot of great content in there. It was it was phenomenal. Yeah, and I mean for them to be up there too and just share their stories in such a moving way, um, and for everyone to feel very open and able to do that in that community, I thought it was very amazing. Yeah. So we'll be throwing up photos on our Smug Mug channel in a couple of weeks once we get them all processed out. And you'll be seeing some of the shots on the Stupid Cancer Store, yeah. I would imagine, because you took Absolutely. some amazing visuals. 
Yeah, we had a few different photographers there that day taking event shots and taking some shots for our store. And they're going up. They started today going up on social. So check Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. But yeah, it'll be going out all week this week. So I'm so excited to kind of share those and hear about your memories kind of as you guys comment on them and you guys share your pictures with us. I'm just so excited to see what you guys thought. If there were tears for you all day long, too. Was that rhyming on purpose? <laughs> I'm a poet, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> no, it's I'm a poet, and I wasn't aware. No, Matt. <laughs> rhyming. Yes. It's a. It's become a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> Up yes. in here. So tonight's show is called Why Ask Why? So we're going to use that as a, as a, a sort of a, a conversation piece with our in-studio guest, Maria, and our, uh, our spotlight, Allison, uh, in the main segment there. Um, I... Personally, when I was going through cancer, I never asked why. I was, I think, just too angry to say, why me? And I'm not really a self-victimizing person just to begin with. But uh, what Allison has done is she's made the why into a good why. Yeah. Asking biological questions, epidemiological, science questions, like not just why did I get cancer, but why do people get cancer? She's really taken it from a... a- a question that could be a very um, victimizing yeah. phrase and putting it in a really enlightening phrase, which is kind of exciting. And in, in that spirit, I was channeling Emily McDowell a little bit to tease OMG West coming up later uh, this month, next month, October. It's still September, right? Yes, okay. Yeah, it's still <laughs> September. West is in October, <laughs> right. end of October. So I posted on my, um, on my I was in the, the greeting card store somewhere this weekend and there was a card that said everything happens for a reason. And I took a shot of it and it's like, what not to say to cancer patients is that everything happens for a reason. But then that goes back to the why me? Why my son? Why my daughter? Do we really want to believe that? How do we channel that? Um, but it, it's a good question. I, I'm a big fan of how it's not about why without getting too meta. It's about where. Where do I go with this? Or what do I do with this? Or how do I manage this instead of the, the why me? Why me puts you in a corner. It's, it, it makes you stuck. So, all right. Well, that's a great segue to our uh, our first guest. And with that, she gets the music. You didn't know you're getting special music, did you? I didn't. Yeah, Maria Escalona diagnosed with leukemia at the age of 18. Today and every day, she celebrates that she has been completely healthy past the five-year mark coming to us from... My alma mater, Memorial Sloan Kettering, please welcome live right here the, to the Stupid Cancer Show, Maria Scalona. Hello. Hi. So I hear five years and I'm curious to ask you, does that number matter anymore? Or is that still some magic meta imaginary unicorn number that we aspire <laughs> to? Um, I think it mattered more. Yeah. When I like officially finished with the pills and all sorts of chemo, but I think it it always plays in the back of my mind, especially when I go into um, the clinic once yeah. a year. Um, so I remind myself that it's been five years, so I can not worry anymore. Because 20 years ago, five years was like live or die. It was like yeah. event horizon. Yeah. You were, you, if you didn't make five years, well, you didn't make five years, obviously, but if you made five years, mm-hmm. you're in the clear. Yeah, yeah. But like, what does that mean? Right? What does in the clear mean? Exactly. You know, so what? It's not coming back, but I'm still this. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about that. You're 18. Were you in (laughs) high school or college? I had just graduated um, from high school, and I was actually, um, it was my first year of college. And I was, uh, I have like a really close uh, relationship with my high school friends. So we went to Six Flags. Because who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And I sat on a bench and my thigh kind of hurt. So I got home and I showed my mom that I had this like, not even a black and blue. It was legit like a black just thing on my on my thigh. And she's like, well, that's weird. And so I went to like a a local um, doctor and she's like, oh, um, so you have different um, like black and blues around you. Let me just write this note and go to the. New York Presbyterian emergency room, but she didn't say why. So Really? Okay. Yeah. So I show up and 
it was a bit of madness. Was, there was a lot of people, and I didn't understand why I was there, so I was ready to go. And mom was like, no, you should stay. Just see what's going on. And I didn't leave for the next 15 to 17 days. So, Oh, um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I stayed, and they... they I remember. They Wait, told so me, this this mm-hmm. local clinic doctor knew right away, but didn't she tell knew. you? Yeah, she didn't. I guess she didn't want to jump ahead. Okay. And um, but once they did the the blood test, they told my mom that she needed to be strong, and we were in the hospital for a few days. What kind of leukemia was it? APML. APML. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's like four letters. Most <laughs> leukemia is three letters. Yeah, I guess mine's was. Special. What does the APML know. stand for? That is a great question. Someone to the Google. Yes, Google it, please. Because there's acute myelogenous leukemia. Yeah. But what does the acute P myelogenous leukemia stand for? So my mom was You didn't know I was going to be in the spot, right? No, I didn't. <laughs> I'm sweating. <laughs> <laughs> acute no. polymyastic leukemia? That sounds familiar, yeah. Okay. That well, my mom was familiar. in charge of all the, the research. I was kind of numb through all this whole of process. Of course, of course. So I didn't want to look at the books. I didn't want to look at anything she did like most of the No, because five years ago, there was the internet. Right. That magical <laughs> thing. That internet. fabulous, terrible thing. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, yeah, she did most of the research. So, did they tell you or how, how soon into your stint at the hospital did they say, by the way, this is this? So, right. So, when I was in the emergency room, it was between a virus or actually cancer. And my mom went on like how do I say, like, a control mode? And she's like, no, well, it's probably just, like, a, a, a virus. Like, let's not even think of cancer. And right. I was like, but what if it is? Yeah. And she's like, no, it's a virus, a virus. So, By the way, mom sitting on the couch over hi, there. Mom. Full support system in place. <laughs> yeah, she's here. <laughs> um, and so I I believe that overnight, once I they took me to a room and everything, and then um, the doctor told me, Dr. Sulis, she's awesome, um, told me that, we had, I mean, that I had um, APML. And of course, that's like world shattering. And I was in shock after that moment. But she she kept reiterating that it's it's a very curable and treatable um, cancer, but it's still the C word. So I thought I was going to die. We've had lots of people on the show, and obviously you've seen our community, you're part of our community. Mm-hmm. People don't know that leukemia means cancer. Right. Was that a conversation? No, honestly, I, I guess I was a bit vain because all I really w- worried about was um, losing my hair. Of course. <laughs> Rightfully so. so. You're 18 years old. Come on. No one's going to yeah. take that away from you. So I was, um, I I don't know. I just went into this this whole thing. Like I couldn't feel much and I didn't want to do research. I just deeper than me, like knew that everything was going to be okay. But then like. I guess with the fear of losing my hair, I had to do a little research. And um, I know that chemo like killed every rapid growing cell. So like that's as much as I like got into the manner. But mm-hmm. I didn't know that no leukemia automatically meant cancer. No. Right. Yeah. So did you lose your hair? I did. Twice. Did they, did, did they tell you you were going to lose your hair? Oh, yeah. Okay. But I, I was like, no, but maybe. Just didn't make maybe. it better, though. No, yeah. no, no. It was so traumatic. Like it was horrible. So talk us through how you, you mentioned you have a, a thriving community of friends from high school. Yeah. How did that news get delivered and what, how was it received? So the fabulous internet was, um, <laughs> <laughs> I um, had posted something about me being in the hospital and my friends visited me immediately. And so actually when the, my doctor told me that I had cancer, they were outside um, waiting. And so they, their world also fell apart. And that was very like, um, rewarding for me because I, I didn't feel like I was alone. And um, so, yeah, they found out together. We all found out together, and they were like, oh, my God, like, what's going to happen to you? So so they they were there for they you. They were there, yeah, and they visited me all the time, even when I wanted to sleep. Like, they just wouldn't go away. I mean, for what it's worth, that's a good outcome. It a is. lot of people have friends that say, peace out, can't deal yeah. with this, yo. It's yeah. gone. My <laughs> friends did that. I can't get away with saying that, but I just said it that yeah. way. No, yeah. But my friends all either went to grad school <laughs> Or they just said, I can't, man. I'm sorry, I can't. Yeah. No, um, I was I was very lucky. I mean, of course, there's people that you want them to visit you and they don't. But, I mean, I guess they just don't matter. And, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're a teenager, you're a bit, like, worried about the wrong things. But I'm so grateful for those friends that were there and the people that weren't. Then, you know, it's okay because they're actually not in my life anymore. So, 
Rightfully it's, it's so. It's something yeah. that, that you learn. You have to like definitely stay with the people that show support. Was there a college trajectory in the future at that time? Or was that something you were going to like go to Europe and take a, two years off and freak your mom out? Um, <laughs> As all of my friends did, <laughs> went to Europe for two years and freaked their families out. <laughs> no, I actually, college was what, like, was my driving thing right. to get healthy. So I I was the girl with the, the pick line mm-hmm. and, um, like, the bandana. And people right. were like, what's going on with this thin girl that's in class? Right. So I was I was always in class. And I made some friends there, too. And um, they were really, like, concerned and about me. So they showed a lot of support. But, no, I didn't get to, like, okay. just... So how long were you in treatment for? So I was in the hospital for about, I want to say 17 days, but um, I received a couple of months of um, arsenic. So I used to go every single day to first get an EKG, then get, um, that was hooked up to like this heart machine because arsenic was like rat poison back Yeah, one might argue arsenic's a poison. Oh, there we go. It's still a poison. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I Here, was... have some arsenic. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so I was hooked on to the, to the um, heart machine. Um, it did have an effect on me. My heart is a little slower here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't do that much. Ex- I mean, I, I should do exercise, uh, but I... I, I don't, don't know what that means. I don't... Exer what? Let's... let's <laughs> Let's fast forward. <laughs> My cardiologist is always telling me to exercise, but I forget. Um, and yes, yeah, so I was hooked up for that to to the heart machine. So that was every day for like a month, more than a month. Um, so I would say my whole treatment was a few months. It wasn't, I would say like a year, maybe just with, with the pills and stuff like that. Of course. And of course. I think that brings a lot of guilt sometimes because yes. I my process was so fast and um, so you feel you got off easy? I do. In the worst way that that could possibly I do. hurt on the other side. Yeah, it's hard because I, I was um, even though I was eighteen, I was still in the children's hospital. So mm-hmm. I was around little kids and and to hear their stories and they were, they were battling since they were like five or younger. So for me, everything was so fast and sometimes I I do feel guilty and I don't. Sometimes I don't feel like a like a real real survivor because I know we've had that conversation yeah. a lot. Oh, I'm. Sucks. I'm in your situation. I don't know if you heard my story, but I was diagnosed in as a college senior, but I was also in pediatrics. Mm. So I was there with the four-year-olds, the yeah. five-year-olds, and many of the young parents thought I was a parent to oh, one of the patients like- <laughs> there. I'm like, no, I'm the patient. So, and I get that. And, you know, I didn't have chemotherapy. I, I chose not to have chemotherapy. And there's a part of me that lives with, I only had this. Yeah. And... I think part of the DNA of why I started Stupid Cancer was to level set how if we start picking apart our differences, mm-hmm. it doesn't help the greater good. Exactly. And that in our manifesto, it's that the playing field is leveled Yeah. when Stupid Cancer comes along when you're not 80. Exactly. So, But you did lose your hair. You did have I a did. massive disruption in your life. You yeah. did have to rebuild things from scratch, and now you're dealing with consequences oh, for happily being disease-free. Yeah, and those are, like, emotional, but also, like, within my friends, like, cancer is now so common, which it was something that I never heard of growing up, so it was my turn. And um, so now when, like, my friend's parents are, get sick, they, they're like, oh, Maria, why don't you um speak to my mom or speak to someone I know? And it's so much pressure because... I don't know what to say. Like, I don't have that magical wand and it, it gets a little difficult. So we have a, an expression, when are you over it? When are you done? And some people say, well, you're never done. And mm-hmm. some people like me say, well, when FedEx screws up <laughs> and you get really angry, then you know you're yeah. done with cancer. <laughs> then it's like you're something you can just live with and manage and figure out. Yeah. How have you chosen to let it affect how you live these days? Because you mentioned you're living with side effects of it. You have to be vigilant and a self-advocate and exercise is technically a verb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I try to, um, I think once I was like completely healthy, um, quote unquote, or like once I, well, actually once I got out of the hospital and once I stopped with the uh, chemo, I was in panic mode. Like I thought I was going to get sick again because for some time, like you start depending on, on whatever medicine, whatever method to mm-hmm. th- um, to feel healthy. So I think after I went on panic mode, I, I kind of got numb again. And I sometimes I put it in the back of my mind. Um, but when I do think about it, I get really emotional. So 
it's I'm still trying to find a, a great balance because I don't know how not to cry and I'm surprised I'm not crying. <laughs> so uh, or maybe I am, you just can't see <laughs> Um so it's difficult to to deal with it. Like, you know, now I'm getting older, so when I think of having kids, are my kids gonna have it? So it's right. It, I I've never I don't know how to deal with it, honestly. No, we're talking the same language. Yeah. And, and I my last day of treatment was the worst day of treatment mm-hmm. because I didn't have a what's next. Exactly. You get so dependent on that that consistency, as short or long as it is. Mm-hmm. You just this is what I do every day. Now that it's not there, what next? Yeah. Did you have someone in your life or at the hospital or a community like ours uh, to help you with that? What next? I feel like my mom um, and even my little sister. They're they're always like they're very proud of me and they're always pushing me. And my mom is always like making sure that I'm on track. So she she helps me with the what next. Um, but I think it's a lot of self-talk. And mm-hmm. and even with the five years, I, if I s- still see like a black and blue, I'm like, oh, my God, this black and blue. What's going on? Mom, look look at this black and blue. And she's like, yeah. no, 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 it's fine. But wait, did it go away? So like right. we're still like a triggers. <laughs> triggers. So we go try away. and, yeah. and I, I think of my future and I think of of what I want to accomplish. But then again, it when I think of it, OK, then it just comes back. Like if I think of kids, if I think of whatever, it just it, it's something you deal with all the time. Well, we we talk about how it's hard enough to be, what twenty four? Oh, thank when you're you. Well? Actually, I'm going to be twenty eight. Really? So yeah. Wait. So <laughs> you October? Okay, I was reading the year versus your age, but that's uh, good. Okay. Any, but anyway, so congratulations on not being twenty four. And my thinking, you look twenty four, which is good. Just <laughs> take the compliment, and I'll be over over here now talking over here. What have you found to be the most um, difficult process for you these days in in getting back your life? Um, uh, letting go of the fear and remaining confident. I think that's, that's very, um, challenging, but like, I'm so thankful for this opportunity because just being able to be here and even write, um, it just reminds me like everything I've gone through, like I I shouldn't worry. So like I beat cancer. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Like that should be my platform for everything. But yeah, fear is, is like a big thing. So what are you doing these days? So I am a social worker. I am, should I say that I'm looking for a job? <laughs> <laughs> you can. We'll link to the five of the moment here. That's fine. Yeah, I'm just like job searching right now. You have um, your LCSW? No, my LMSW. LMSW. Okay, yeah, good. That exam was crazy. I know. I, I know That's lots crazy. of social workers. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so right now I'm just like traveling and I actually went to Cuba so that was awesome Good for I you mention that too um so just traveling trying to like be an adult which is paying a lot of bills and well yes all that stuff <laughs> trying to have fun yes. but yeah just trying to be happy yeah the aspiration of happiness yes. exactly yes well good for you does does did you always want to be a social worker or did having this experience draw you more to that career path I think I always wanted to be a social worker, but I, this experience um, is just yet another door as to what I can do with social work. So it, at first I thought I was going to be like a, in an organization or in a school, but now like I'm open to working in the hospital or still in an org, but something that I can also give back. So it's, I don't know, this experience as painful as it is, is kind of a blessing because it does make you stronger. Yes. I mean, you don't want cancer. No, no, Let no. Let me no. reiterate that. So, um, Everyone that says, oh, it was a gift. And I yeah. wouldn't give it to you no, as a no, gift. No, yeah. no, I would never give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, like, when it does happen to you and you do overcome and you do ask why, and um, I know you mentioned, like, the whole why, and sometimes we're told, like, everything happens for a reason. So I think once you get over all those hurdles, you, like, you're stronger on the on the other side, so... So going back to our friend, the internet, <laughs> Yes. how do you or do you share your story or do you write or how do you use the internet for good? In terms of like my story with... However you choose to let the world know who you are. I use Instagram and Facebook and um, there are certain pictures that I like write captions, um, but I don't know. Sometimes I'm a little... I tend to hold my, my story sometimes to myself because I think sometimes on Instagram you just swipe. You don't really like right. stop and read and see the content or where it comes from. Mm-hmm. And honestly, also sometimes I feel that people may feel a little uncomfortable. Like I, I would love to share like uh, pictures of me 
without hair. I'm actually uh, confident about that now, but I don't know if I want, like, I don't want people saying, oh my God, like, I don't want pity. I just, I want to be able to, when I do it, like, that it's in a strong form, not in a way that people are going to, I don't know, just say like, oh, so, um, <laughs> if that makes sense. you've been very gracious and you're welcome to stay for the rest of the show. Oh, thank you. I'd love to chime in with our, our main segment here. So a final question, which we ask pretty much everybody is what does get busy living mean to you and how might you get busy living? Get busy li- living. Hmm. I feel like it means stay in the moment and do things that you want to do. I think we are very attached to that to the internet and we live through people, but I think it's, we have to do what we want to do and just stay, stay very present and go for a jog, walk, play in the snow. I like that answer. <laughs> Laurel, do you agree? I love the snow. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, I'm so proud that you could join us here. And I know mama's in the industry, we say Kvelling, which is like looking all proud on the couch <laughs> there. Um, very, very excited. So, you're 28. You're dying. So it is 10 years. Are you celebrating 10 years? Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm celebrating five. Oh, because you had five years of treatment. Yeah. Okay. So, but yeah. technically wait. you were. Oh, wait. The math is totally wrong then. You're right. Because I was 18 and then 24. Yes. So I'm not. I'm celebrating five, isn't it? How old are you now? 28. And you're dying because I'm not 18. My str- are we I'm doing a math? social worker, not a math teacher. <laughs> <laughs> All the math. All right. So I'm part right. Wait. Are you okay? I guess so. All right. So we're going to just say that we're celebrating 10 years. That sounds Whether great. Whether it's math or not. No, you know what? We are celebrating 10 years because I got diagnosed at 18. I'm 28 now. And why not? I love that that revelation happened live here <laughs> yes. during this recording. That's a great during the podcast. <laughs> and your mom in the back room was originally like, no, no, five. And then and then Matt says 10. She goes, yes, 10 years. Yes, we're doing 10. Right. Going with the that 10. sounds good. Well, thank you for joining us thank and stick so around. Much. Maria Scalone, everybody. All right, Mal. And now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Stupid cancer does lots of awesome things. So here is what's happening now. The OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults started in 2008. In eight years, 14 summits have brought together more than 6,000 people. On October 29th, join the Young Adult Cancer Movement in Irvine, California. OMG West is all about community. Learn more at omgsummit.org. Join us for a different kind of social mixer. No pressure, no judgments, no stigma. Best of all, no sitting around in a circle sharing your feelings. Find a meetup in your area at events.stupidcancer.org or host your own. Just go to stupidcancer.org slash meetup. Okay, there are events happening in Tacoma, Washington, Dallas, Texas, and Las Vegas, Nevada. We want to see how you get busy living. So follow Stupid Cancer on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Do not forget to tag us at Stupid Cancer. Join the movement. Show how you get busy living in your stupid cancer gear. Shop at stupidcancerstore.org. We've been doing the show here for about 10 years, and we want to hear more from you, our listeners. Tell us what you'd like to hear. So fill out our survey at stupidcancer.org slash podcast survey and get 15% off in the Stupid Cancer Store. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. In our main segment, Allison Griffin is an artist and a cancer fighter diagnosed with stage 3A breast cancer in 2011. Her focus in cancer support is how it impacts young, single working professionals. And uh, with the support of therapy that includes everything from diet and exercise to artistic outlets and me time. She's here today to further her desire to fill in the gaps in managing cancer treatment that she found when she was going through it. She's trying to make a difference for people just like her. Please welcome a renaissance woman. Allison Griffin. Hello, Allison. Hello. Thank How you for, are you? You know, we were we were going over your uh, you have you are only epic. Everything that you do, we were trying to. How do we consolidate all of you are <laughs> into a quick bio and doesn't even do you justice? You are a blogger. You're a TEDx speaker. You are directing films. You're an author. A lot of stuff going on there. That is very kind of you. Um, 
but I, th- I think it's a good lead into what we're we're talking about because I think when you're diagnosed with cancer, sometimes people think you're a cancer fighter and they forget that you're a whole person that has a lot of different dreams and desires and and things that you go after, right? Well, it's it's labeling. How do we get out of the or get into the proper labeling of what it means to deal with cancer in your life, correct? Right. Yeah. And it's a tough one. It's a tough one because because I think that I find that people who who haven't been touched by cancer or aren't haven't been through cancer treatment have a, a need and an understandable need to get their head around it. And in doing that, they need to put it in a box. And so that brings you to a label. And it's hard sometimes to, you know, let people know that you're a whole person. And, you know, as much as I'm a cancer fighter and I will continue to be a cancer fighter, and I do a lot of art around cancer and a lot of a lot of nonprofit work and a lot of outreach and things like this, which means the world to me. It's the most important thing I'll ever do. You know, I work in the feature film business and I write and I work behind the scenes and I like doing things that have nothing to do with cancer also. So I let's, <laughs> where should we start? I know I, I'm, I'm, I'm befuddled. <laughs> I have to figure, where do we start? Have you always been this creative precocious spirit? I've always been very creative. I think I've always found an outlet in creativity. And when I was diagnosed with cancer, my initial reaction was, you know, first of all, what is going on? Let me find out everything about what I need to know. And because I work in the film business, the first thing I did was I went looking for a film and a website that would help me. And when I went to Netflix and the movie that I was looking for wasn't there, I was pretty surprised. And so I sent out a mass email to everybody I know in the business and said, hey, you know, I've just been diagnosed with cancer, as everybody knows. I was just looking for a movie that was going to take me through the steps of what I was facing. And also... Uh, that wouldn't only answer my questions, but answer all the questions these amazing people around me were asking, and I couldn't find the movie. So I have no money and no plan, and obviously I'm about to go through treatment, but if I make this movie, would anyone like to join me for free uh, and dedicate your life to to making a free film? And that's what we did. And for me, the process was wonderful in that during the process, I learned a lot that helped me. I learned a lot that I knew would help other people, but I was also, you know, the gift of being able to make the movie while I was going through treatment was my coping mechanism in retrospect. I don't think I knew that at the time, but I know that now it was very helpful to be able to do that. So, so not that there's ever a good time to get cancer, but you were just about doing something pretty incredible and all of this happened to you, would you share with us your early symptoms and how this was uncovered to begin with? I didn't have any early symptoms. I had, you know, 38 years old. I'd had a breast exam just a few months before. Nobody caught anything. I am always scold myself because I didn't do monthly breast exams. I thought I was healthy and fit and I ate right and I exercised and so I didn't need to do that. So, um, basically one morning I just, I couldn't get my bra on. So I tried to get myself in there and in pushing, I felt a lump and went, oh boy, that's bad. So that was on a Sunday. I knew in that moment it was bad. So I reacted immediately. Um, and because I was, I called to get a mammogram the next day and they said, you're too young to get a mammogram you have to go to your doctor and get a referral. I called my doctor. There was a waiting list to have an appointment, and they said, oh, it's probably nothing. So I didn't listen to them, and I went to an urgent care center where they promptly gave me a referral for everything. I had a mammogram the next day. um, 15 minutes after my mammogram, I had an ultrasound, and they did a biopsy in the room, and I had a diagnosis the next day. So I found the lump on Sunday and was diagnosed on Wednesday. But that was because I was aggressive. They were basically saying, since you're young and you have no cancer in your family, we don't really think that there's a problem. So I had to push. 
so that which I think a lot of yeah. young people have to do, and that's frustrating. No, it is frustrating because you're dependent on, I suppose, the bedside manner, tolerance, literacy, and general effectivity of primary care to take you seriously. And that's like inversely proportional to how much you are a pain in the ass to get what you want. Right. And even with, you know, doctors, I mean, I had a great breast center, but and even with them wanting to help you, there's an insurance thing. So even though I got myself through the door, I had to sign a piece of paper that said you'll pay, you know, I think it was like $2,800 if insurance doesn't cover this. And I was like, fine, but let's go. You know, of course, which I didn't have, but I signed the piece of paper anyway. But so you're, you're put in that position from the beginning. Um, and I think in this day and age, it's really frustrating to hear you don't have a family history and you're young, so you're not at risk where we see younger and younger people having cancer and we know that it's not just about family history. Well, that would go under the list of things not to tell me right now. <laughs> right. So you are truly, I hate to put it in this, like fast-tracked into cancer land very quickly and yes. that ruined everything. So how did everything manage to get itself not straightened out, but at least you sound like you're very organized and methodical in the best sense of that word. Where did things go from there, from this chaos? It it was good. I mean, I was aggressive. I'm a very A-type personality, and just because of the career I'm cho- I've chosen, um, it's a little bit of an aggressive career, and um, you have to push your way into things if you want them. So I did the same thing, and, and this was me fighting for my life. I, I, and I, I say cancer fighter because I don't like the word patient. Patient to me also relates to patience. There's nothing patient about fighting cancer. You have to move on it. And so I was, you know, I pushed my way into it, but I, I was lucky to be paired with doctors who could receive and match my personality and were just as aggressive and communicative as I was. Um, I've always say, and I said to them from the beginning, fighting cancer is a team sport. You know, we're going to do this together and I'm not going to have a circumstance where you tell me what I'm doing and I'm just going to do that. I want to understand it. I want to, I want to I want to be the best cancer fighter you have. I don't want to get sick during chemo. I want to be successful through all of this treatment, and I want to understand what's going on. What I'm so, really, what what I'm what, what I'm really drawn to about your story and, and your choices is that it was really about your dignity and your quality of life and what was most important to you, not what they thought was most important to you. Right, and I, you know, I was lucky enough again to have these doctors who understood that and and respected that, which was great. And the more I meet people, I find that they don't necessarily have that same experience or have had that same experience, and that makes me sad and frustrated. I hope that, you know, me doing interviews like this and, and, and all the outreach I do, I hope one of the things that I'm able to do and, and things like Stupid Cancer able to do is encourage people to push, push back. It's your life. You're the one who has to sit in whatever decisions made. So if your doctor isn't bringing it, get a new doctor or, or bring them to that place where they are collaborating with you because it's a collaborative effort, you know, and um, they're going to give you a piece of the puzzle and they're going to give you whatever, whatever they're prescribing you, but you have to bring them into the fold of what else works? What else do I need if they're not, if they're not bringing that to you? Your, if that makes sense. No, it does. And you, your creative body of work speaks for itself, but it, it, it's very apparent that you're having cancer um, was almost a, a catalyst for you to redirect that energy into other creative outlets. It was. You know, I will say that the one thing that cancer really did for me in a positive way where it removed fear, where, you know, Allison, prior to cancer, I was very focused. I was a writer. I was working behind the scenes. Everything was perfect all the time. Everything was particular. Every story I wrote 
had to, everything had to be perfect all the time. And which was, you know, it's great to have high standards, but it also held me back. One of the things I had always wanted to do was direct. And I, I think I was a little bit too much of a control freak to do that. And I was aware of that within myself of, I can't, I can't go direct a movie. I can't take all of that on because I can't control every aspect of it. But then when I found out I had a tumor and that I was in control of very little, it was very freeing. It was very freeing. And, um, and when I realized we needed to make a documentary because one didn't exist, that need to control it wasn't there. It was like, let's just get the information on camera, guerrilla style. You know, we're going to get this in any way we can. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be real and right and helpful. And we'll present it in a way that is going to help people. Where I think the old me would have, you know, every title card would have needed to be just so. And, you know, I would have overthought it. And I would have um, maybe missed the point. So that was a gift in all of this. So and this, it, I, it's a lot of freedom in it. No, and I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm a, I was a concert pianist at the time um, when I was diagnosed 20 years ago. And I was very methodical. And you have to play every single note the way it's written. Otherwise, you get your hand slapped. And then going through that process helped me write original music that I just didn't care what people thought about. And this is how I wanted to share what I was going through. You know, they say write what you know, and you you chose your directorial debut to be, and I'm going to just read this as it is. What the fuck is cancer and why does everyone have it? I, that's about as blunt as you can get. What was your goal there? Uh, I didn't, you know, one of the things I found when I went looking for a movie was, first of all, there were a lot of personal stories, which I really appreciate, but being newly diagnosed with cancer, I didn't want to go on someone else's journey. I wanted information. I wanted it to feel, I wanted a movie that felt like I invited over to dinner a whole bunch of people who all had different experiences and they were going to share them with me and they weren't going to dip it in chocolate. They were just going to say, this is what it was for better or for worse. This is what it was. And I think the title of the movie just that's me you know and that's the question for all these nice you know pink painted dipped in chocolate you know carefully worded questions and comments about cancer what the fuck is cancer and why does everybody have it is really what it comes down to <laughs> and so that's just what the movie is it is hopeful it is informative it is honest for better or for worse but it, it's real and that's what I was looking for something real I and I you know that's and the movie turned into a website turned into a foundation all because we didn't want something that was sanitized with well we need to say it this way because of insurance reasons or we have to be careful about this I didn't want to be careful um, I want to be responsible but you know, being careful when someone's looking for a real answer, you have, to, you have to be careful with that because then people don't know what's coming. Do you know what I mean? No, I, I do. I do. I mean, we were talking before, uh, before the segment around the word why, and I'll speak for myself. I never self-victimized. I never said why me. I, I saw why as more of a directional, like what do I do with this and where do I go from here? And the why is really, you know, th there's a science behind the why. Why does this happen? What needs to happen to make it better? And you right. you chose to take on an issue that was near and dear to you because you were that person, young working women, which really don't have a big voice in cancer, which is, you know, stupid cancer was built around the Gen X millennial lifestyle, and cancer tends to ruin that. But these are issues that don't happen when you're retired in Florida. And you embody that. So where did the Y Foundation come from? The Y Foundation, you know, as I said, it came out of the movie. It came out of um, an extension of that whole concept, which was I went to different websites looking for information, and I found research websites. I found support websites and information websites in different ways. But what I didn't find was the day-to-day, -day, and I wanted I wanted information that was provided, whether it be by a doctor or someone fighting cancer that was palatable, you know, meaning like 750 words or less or a video that spoke to me or a caregiver 
because we definitely want to give props and support to caregivers about what things are in the day-to-day, like what can help me get through the day. The reason it's called the Y Foundation, actually, no one really asks me that question, is because people kept coming into my office and calling me at home, and so kind of them, to offer me advice. You should take this supplement. You should do this. You should do that. I read an article, and I, I started saying, well, why? Why should I do that? Where did you hear that? And then that's when we realize in this world of over-information that the people don't know why. You know, they, they heard it on a radio show, and now you're standing in my room with a, a supplement that actually I can't take this because this promotes estrogen, and I have an estrogen-driven cancer. So why are we saying the things we're saying, and what do we really need to know? So the Y Foundation is this small mom-and-pop cancer shop, as I call it, and I we want to collect more content every day, um, but we also want to keep it real and small because we want it to stay in under control of what what do we really need to get through the day-to-day. So we're very particular in what we curate. We invite people to send in articles. We look for the best articles to link to, um, but in doing that, we make sure it's about going through the day-to-day of cancer treatment. We make sure that it's an article that is not too long because we know how hard it is to read a long article when you're going through something. And we just make sure it's about that day-to-day. And we make sure it's about the whole cancer process and the whole person. That's why we incorporate a lot of fighting cancer with art, you know, and fighting cancer with exercise and diet because it's not just the medicine that you need from the western medicine doctors right you need to you need to feed your whole being in order to make it through and we want to support people doing that in the in the way that's best for them and, and i commend you on all of that it's it's noble i i really i lo- love your spirit you wrote an article on Huffington called uh, i bought a pink blow dryer and i found a lump and you're you're it you're you're taking on the obvious like you're disrupting this public, I don't want to say complacency on, hey, I'm helping and here's what's going on. And even just this morning, I, I took a photo of a greeting card that said everything happens for a reason. And I posted, here's what you don't say to cancer patients when right. they're going exactly. through this. I, has, you, this is in your DNA to just be this angsty, exciting, disruptive person. What has been <laughs> the, re- the reaction from, from the community at large that have been witness to all that you are putting out to the universe. It's been great. It's it's inspired more conversation than I could have imagined. Um, for example, the documentary we 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 made it for nothing, and we wanted it to be available to everyone. So we put it out on iTunes with this with the smallest price point they would allow us to do, which was ninety nine cents to rent it, then all the way to nine ninety nine to buy it, and there's some breaks in between. Um, and that was three years ago, and we're still doing screenings, educational screenings. Um, some are sponsored by hospitals, some are sponsored by cancer groups, some are some are sponsored by film festivals. But there's a lot of community outreach around it, and I always do a Q and A, whether it's via Skype or or there, and it can be you know a room of 10, and it can be a room of 500. And I think the, the thing that I'm finding that surprises me more and more each time is the conversation that inspires. I think that I'm finding that this, uh, this is just me, this is just how I am, but I think that the reaction that I'm getting, um, that people share with me, or and that I'm observing in these, in these moments are that it allows people to let their guard down because I let my guard down. I'll talk about anything. Um, and, and I think that in my experience and all of this unfolding is that people are looking for a safe place to be themselves and to say what they think and to say what they're scared of and to not have to be in that label in that box and to not be judged or, um, again, put in a box for what they're talking about. So it, the conversations always take an interesting turn depending on what the, um, what the audience is like or what the circumstance is. And you know, we all learn about each other every day, right? You just have to be open to it. And that goes, a lo- that goes to fear and that goes to 
labels and that goes to the label of survivor which is some which is another word that i have trouble with that comes up a lot in these screenings which is because it sounds like like it's over you know like you're done and i think most of us know that once you've been through cancer treatment you're not done I mean, you might be done with cancer treatment, but you're not done with cancer. It's still a part of you. And I think there's um, there's a lot of acceptance that needs to happen there. I think that people who haven't been through it are afraid of not hearing the words, oh, yeah, I'm a survivor. I'm all clear. It's all okay now. They can't deal with it. So a lot of us have to shelter them from it. But then that puts us in the bad position, right? No, I, I just I answered also, a question and went off on a tangent. No, no, it was, <laughs> it was a good tangent because your 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 passion is infectious and your creativity is is off the charts, amazing. How can people learn more about what you're up to these days? Are you on uh, social channels, websites? Uh, there's the whyfoundation.org, and we have a Facebook page, and we have a Twitter page, and we have an events page where you can see where things are going on. Um, you can also click to the movie from there. And, you know, we keep the website updated. We keep our social media updated. And one thing that I will throw out that I hope it's okay to throw out on your show is we are always looking for feedback. We're always looking for someone to share their story, whether it's here is a painting that I did that got that I used for coping. Here's a story that I wrote. Here's the experience that I have. That's all relevant. If it can help someone else and someone wants to share, we're here to provide that platform so we can help each other and ourselves. Allison Griffin, artist, cancer fighter, diagnosed with stage three breast cancer, the Y Foundation, and the documentary you must watch is What the Fuck is Cancer and Why Does Everyone Have It? Allison, thank you for joining us, and Godspeed on your journey. Thank you so much. Okay. I can't help but turn back to uh, Maria for a sec because she talked about how she lost her fear. and But then the fear comes back, right? You want to comment on that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were pining to <laughs> chime in there. No, I mean, she, she's so awesome, Madison. She's very strong, and I felt really inspired um, listening to her. But, yeah, the fear does come back, and I don't know how to ever, how are we going to ever shake that feedback from you? I have a completely unrelated yet somewhat related story to facing fear. Uh, I had just gotten my learner's permit when I was 16 years old, and my dad let me borrow the car. We were upstate New York when you could drive by yourself with a learner's permit at 16, mm-hmm. and I got a speeding ticket for doing 80. Because <laughs> I was 16, and why not? So it turns out that uh, we, we pled not guilty, and we went to the court, and I fought my way out of it. But someone gave me a book. I, who does this to a 16-year-old? The book said, feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm. How to get out of a ticket. So, <laughs> <laughs> so apply that idea to feel the fear and do it anyway. This is your life with, through, and ideally beyond cancer. Yeah. Um, I mean, in, in regards to books and stuff, like I know what I was like, I, I read a lot of spiritual books and – I think it's like everything when when you're going through certain things, you're like, okay, um, God, or, or like if you believe in a higher power, you always say what you would do and how you'll be fearless and how you're not going to eat any more cake and run <laughs> and whatever. And then you get to the real world and, and I think you let little things get to you. So, like when FedEx doesn't deliver your package. Exactly. <laughs> FedEx and has done you wrong. cake looks so, so good. Yeah. It's with the sprinkles, I yeah. know. And when you just don't feel like going to the gym. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, my mom always says to me, like, you overcame this big battle of cancer, but you let, like, little things get to you. And I don't know if that's, like, a coping mechanism. Like, sometimes you just don't think about the bigger picture and yeah. you, like, let the little things get to you. But fear is something that you can you feel really brave at one point and then i don't know when the real world hits you you just allow it to consume you but it's it's an everyday battle well thank you for being here again and thank sharing you. your story <laughs> what a great show thank you and i want to say that at the beginning of this you were nervous you said Super. that you were scared and nervous Sweating. and you felt that and you <laughs> did it anyway today yeah, yeah you felt See, you didn't even I know it. it. Yeah, you did <laughs> there it. You go. Good job. <laughs> Thank you, guys. All right. Well, now it is time for our closing sequence. 
prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, that's our show, the 395th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. Thank you to our guests, Maria Escalona and Mom on the Couch and Allison Griffin. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer. Find us online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from downtown Manhattan on behalf of the team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next time. Goodbye, folks. I had to do it like I had a choice, but I'm a